Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast, it's Jawad here, thank you for joining me and um, thank you for the wait as well, uh, we had a little week off last week, had a wedding to attend to, so it kind of rendered my day on Thursday a bit um, just unavailable, <laughs> it took, you know, we didn't get home till almost midnight, so it was it was a good day at least, a good friend. Um, finally tying the knot, didn't expect that to happen, but anyway, it was a good day, but yeah, sorry for, for the no episode last week, I'm sure you'd know, you don't really mind and all that, but um, got a good one for you this week, because we had a great race there at Imola, Emilia Romagna Grand Prix, so we're going to talk all about that, had the supercars on in Tasmania as well, uh, IndyCar, MotoGP, there was almost too much going on over the weekend, but um, I'll try and get through what I can, um, I probably won't cover off the MotoGP, but yeah, you know, good, good race for Yamaha, or for Fabio Quattararo, a lot of chaos, you know, a few guys going down, like Jack Miller, Alex Rins later on as well, but, um, at IndyCar, I did I did get to watch the race, because it was on at like five o'clock in the morning, and then, you know, after, by the time I finished up, uh, the blog for the F1, it was half, half one, 1.30 in the morning, so yeah, needed my beauty sleep and uh, to get ready for work the next day, so yeah, these Mondays are killing me, <laughs> and we're only two races into a 23 race season, so, um, but there could be, I mean, not that this is a good thing, because I always love the Canadian Grand Prix, um, but that could end up being cancelled, uh, which is usually over the Queen's birthday weekend here in Australia for us, um, and that's a 4 a.m. so you know, if that's cancelled, no no big deal, I would, you know, like to have that sleep or whatever, and if they put on the Turkish Grand Prix instead that weekend, that would be a little bit better. Timing-wise, I know you're probably going to hear me complaining about the uh, the times a lot more this season, but um, I still love it. It's good. It's good. Anyway, <laughs> talk about Imola. Let's talk about Emilia Romagna, the Grand Prix, and um, as expected, Max Verstappen won, but in the style he won was a bit unexpected, so all weekend, Mercedes were top of the timesheets, they were fastest in qualifying, Lewis Hamilton took his 99th career pole, um, and Red Bull were kind of on the back foot, you know, they had some problems, um, Sergio Perez had a really, really messy weekend, which we'll cover in a little bit, uh, but he did uh, qualify a career best second, so his first ever front row start in F1 in all the years he's been in the sport, but the race on Sunday, rain affected, which wasn't, you know, I, don't think, I wasn't expecting, I had to check the weather forecast, I assumed it would be a dry race, but uh, no, it was quite uh, damp out there at the start of the race, the rain was coming down, Verstappen managed to win, you know, by 20 seconds as well, and, and Hamilton had some of his own difficulties during the race, but he still recovered to finish second, so, you know, I guess, you know, if you look at the results sheet, it probably doesn't tell the whole narrative of the race, but, you know, let's try and get into it, um, but before that, yeah, qualifying, so Max was actually third fastest behind his teammate Checo, you had some big names out of position, Bottas, who we'll cover a little bit later as well, Awful, awful weekend for him. He was qualified. He qualified down in eighth. Lando Norris as well, star of the weekend. You got to say um, he could have started on the front row or as high as third. You know, but he had his fastest lap in Q3 deleted. I think you know my heart skipped a little bit when he jumped up to third. I was like, oh my goodness, this is fantastic. 
um, when I think it was a, a friend of mine on Friday said, oh, you know, I reckon Lando will end up on the podium or something, or he's just something about Lando doing really well at the moment. And I was like, I don't like to talk talk McLaren up before a weekend, you know, because just, just a bit of superstition and whatnot. But um, no, he, he put in that lap and I was like, oh my God, you know, and on a track where overtaking is not very... Um, common, although we did have some good passes over the weekend, uh, qualifying position would be key, but alas, that didn't happen, he had his fastest lap time deleted almost instantly, and he dropped back to like sixth or something, so the stage was set for the race, um, in those really bad conditions, and most drivers start on the intermediate tyres, Max, with his wit, decided to start, um, do his launch in second gear, so he didn't get much wheel spin, just more traction as well, and just basically sailed on past uh, Hamilton and his teammate Checo into the first corner, so from there, basically, he led all the way, including through the time we had the red flag as well, so we had a big incident there on lap 34, huge crash between Valtteri Bottas and George Russell, what had happened, like, let's give it some context, so on the lap before, Lewis made a bit of a rare error while he was trying to fight for the dry line at turn seven with George Russell, so Russell a lap down, Hamilton in second, trying to mind his own business, and ends up making a mistake, goes off into the gravel, has to reverse, um, which, you know, apparently on a Formula One car, and reversing uh, or engaging reverse gear is one of the most hardest things you can do, who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was because of that he fell a lap down, um, had to change his front wing as well, got some damage, I think, as a result of it. But as a result, you know, of that, that was, you know, one of the double whammies for Mercedes. You had Hamilton end up a lap down and in trouble, but then Russell found himself um, trying to wrestle track position with Bottas as well, heading into the Tamburello chicane on the for, on the next lap. So you've got obviously the main straight. You've got DRS as well. It kind of curves. They were side by side. Russell had the DRS, but there was no room basically to for two to go around there without you know something happening. And basically it, it happened. So you know before. I, mean, I don't want to really get into the nitty-gritty of it because it's been debated probably a million times already this week since since the incident happened. In my eyes, it was a racing incident. I don't think Bottas did anything wrong. Russell, Russell couldn't have done anything either in the position he was. Uh, basically, there was nowhere for him to go and Bottas kind of just, you know, moved to take the racing line as you would, you know, especially on a wet track, and you've only got the one dry line, where I think, and, you know, agreeing with Toto Wolf sentiments, basically, talking about, you know, demoting people to Clio Cup and everything, which apparently some uh, journalists and whatnot have taken rather seriously and written articles about George Russell, or Toto Wolf has threatened uh, to demote drivers to the Clio Cup. It's like, they don't understand his humour. <laughs> I don't think he was... Um, yeah, yeah, anyway, I shouldn't have to explain it. But yeah, the way... I think the only criticism of George in that situation was um, the conduct after the incident. So going out and um, getting all angry with Bottas and then basically giving him a smack across the helmet as well. So, you know, given that 
as well the significance of where they're racing Imola and Tamburello especially the corner where Ayrton Senna lost his life you know the fact that these drivers just had a high speed shunt at that corner and get to walk away with their lives I think you know they it didn't go probably didn't register through their or his head at that time and also you know just the the safety that you know we've got in the sport now you know and looking back at I was watching the rest of Drive to Survive, which I was supposed to review for you guys on last week's set, but I'll do it this time um, as well with the Grosjean incident. It's like, you know, you just, yeah, perhaps they take it for granted. And I think, you know, in that moment, George was more so furious than, uh, you know, realizing that, okay, we're okay. The other driver's okay as well. Let's talk about this afterwards kind of thing so it's all a bit of showmanship and everything I think it was unnecessary and Toto as well said you know I think you know George is already trying to jump into that seat seat a bit early and George came out and apologized after on social media as well which was good to see but you know I guess in that moment uh George was getting upset if if you if you get that uh, reference from Seinfeld Worlds are colliding. George is getting upset. <laughs> Talking about himself in the third person. Um, and from there, basically, yeah, we had a red flag. Didn't take very long for the race to get underway again. But the next bit of contentious news was the restart and also this rule that we have in F1 about lapped cars being able to unlap themselves. And I think in a lot of motorsports, they do have that rule, especially for, you know, Grand Prix lengths and stuff I know they do for for supercars at uh, endurance races as well Uh, but where the contentiousness lay in this particular instance was the fact that it allowed Hamilton to get back onto the lead lap he was down in ninth but you know he was a lap down so the fact that he was allowed back on the lead lap if it wasn't for that would he have finished on the podium I think that's where you know people just to try to find some kind of negative in this race, kind of picked on that, the fact that, you know, oh, he still finishes second, even though he was a lap down, you know, I I don't know why people, you know, once upon a time, maybe I used to do the same thing, I used to rejoice when, you know, Hamilton would have an issue, or Hamilton crashed out, or, you know, something happened to Hamilton, or to to Vettel back in the Red Bull days, um, just so we could have a good race, but the thing is, we had a good race, regardless of Hamilton finishing P2 or not, so, it's not really something that, you know, we should pick on or criticise the FIA about. I think it's a fair rule. I think it's just people are upset that Hamilton was able to finish second in the end. I, and I don't see any problem in that either. So, you know, he has still, you know, a good car under his belt, even though it's not, you know as good as what they say Red Bull are at the moment, you compare him to how Bottas was going on the the whole weekend as well, like, Bottas has got the same car, but he's not able to produce the same results and make the same overtakes, that's, I think, down to the driver, you know, going back to Turkey last year, where he won his championship, he demonstrated, you know, this is why he's a seven-time world champion, you know, driving in really bad conditions, putting in the work, putting in the overtakes, and he simply did that again this time, so again, no problem with that, he came back and finished second, also just demonstrating again, 
how far ahead of the pack, you know, or ahead of the midfield cars, let's say, that Mercedes still is. So he was able to come back, finish second. Uh, Lando Norris, as I said before, didn't want to, you know, talk up McLaren heading into the weekend, but, you know, they did it. They took the gamble on the soft tyres um, after the restart and ultimately got themselves third. Another podium for Lando, first of the season. And he did really well to hold Hamilton behind him until lap 60, you know, until lap 60 out of a 63-lap race. And um, faster than the Ferraris as well. You know, Ferrari had a good weekend, which we'll touch on in a moment. But just how good is Lando? You know, a lot of people may just look at him as a, as a joker and he he's the meme lord and everything, and then of course with Ricardo coming this year that it was all going to be pressure on Lando, but he put in a incredibly measured drive, he had a really, really good weekend, and to finish third, get a trophy for McLaren when, you know, you've got a seven-time race winner in the other seat, I think is um, really, you know, it showed how good Lando is and how seriously we should take him. And, you know, I know there was people coming into this season who were kind of asking questions about Lando and whether, you know, he would, um, you know, would this be a year where he has pressure on him because of um, Ricardo there and whether he deserves to be there. And I think, yeah, just with that drive, he, he proved it. So very good on him. Very happy, of course, because McLaren finished third and, and got a podium. Um Dan, unfortunately, yeah, just started the race where, or finished the race where he started in P6, but still, you know, handy points, of course, for McLaren. You've got to say as well, you know, probably a couple of races in, you know, give him a few more races to kind of really dial himself in and, you know, get acclimatized with that car, you know, still not able to unlock that one lap pace like we see from Lando, of course, you know, before he got that quality lap deleted. But I'm sure Ricardo will be able to get there too, which will be exciting to see. Touching on Ferrari then, good points for them, of course, uh, with that race. And, you know, having a decent home race as well. I know Leclerc finished, I think, fourth or fifth last time, last year at Imola. And he finished fourth this time. Carlos Sainz finishing fifth despite touring through the gravel twice. So once on the uh, warm-up lap before the race and then during the race as well, he had a, had a bit of a trip through the gravel. So ended up finishing fifth. So it's good because last year, as I said, I think, or I was planning on, I don't know, I might have said it in a dream perhaps. But, um, you know, last year it was like Ferrari had one hand tied behind their back. So even if they did have a car worthy of scoring points, they had Sebastian Vettel just basically going rogue and doing nothing, <laughs> uh, just just sitting there, you know, and doing nothing, uh, basically. So, you know, this time they have Carlos, who's, you know, there up there in fifth. They've had good qualifying pace as well. Carlos didn't make it to Q3, but was still in the mix come Sunday and was able to score the points. So that's going to be an interesting battle, I think, you know, between McLaren and Ferrari for third in the Constructors' Championship. So it might be a bit closer than I thought it would be initially, but, you know, how's a bit of healthy competition, you know, it doesn't hurt, you know, and we like to see that in the sport. And ultimately, you got to say for Leclerc, you know, a podium went begging if you want to look at it from a glass half empty perspective um and also if you're a, a Hamilton critic you could say oh well, you know it was because of Hamilton that Leclerc didn't finish on the podium well you know if had Ferrari had a better car hey then you know they could have done it but there you go they just couldn't keep the Mercedes behind so yeah that that leaves that one 
And we'll move on to Checo now too. So Checo failing to score despite the fact that he was, uh, you know, second on the grid, you know, made it to the front row for the first time in his career. He finished down in 11th ultimately with a few penalties uh, elevating his position. But he just, yeah, you know, had a bit of a messy race. He copped a 10-second penalty for overtaking under the safety car um, for the first time. And then ultimately, whilst battling Sebastian Vettel, went through the gravel at Tamborello as well towards the end of the race, and um, that ultimately ruined his, or kind of was the nail in the coffin of his afternoon. And that being said, um, I'm not going to, you know, the drums aren't really beating for Perez as yet, and I don't think they should be. He will, like Ricardo, um, in time be able to master his domain Another Seinfeld reference there, and I know I didn't mean it in the way that um, it came out in the show, but yeah, so points-wise, you know, when you look at the Constructors' Championship, and that's ultimately why Checo was brought in to, you know, be able to help Red Bull in the Constructors' Championship as well as the drivers, Red Bull are only seven points behind to Mercedes because Bottas had the weekend. Well, he didn't score points either this weekend. So it's going to be real close. And I think Perez has already shown, you know, with the race that he had in Bahrain, the qualifying pace that he had in Imola, that, you know, it won't be long before he's able to piece together a perfect weekend and be able to, to help Red Bull there. And I even thought going into the race, you know, perhaps, you know, we could see Perez get up there and win this one but you know it was Max who ultimately did it and um, Perez had the messy weekend that he did and yeah speaking of messy weekends and another bad weekend for for Seb Vettel you know life not looking too rosy there at Aston Martin at the moment um, I just I just had to shake my head when you know pre pre-race or pre-weekend you got the news about you know Aston Martin potentially taking legal action against the FIA over the the changes made to the floor regulations for this year, you know, the fact that it's hurt the cars with a low-rate concept, whereas high-rate cars such as the Red Bull and whatnot have benefited. And it just makes me think, you know, yeah, you know, how, how naive are these guys? You know, I know, you know, guys like Otmar Saf now, Andy Green and all that, the technical director, they've been in the sport for ages, you know, why are they basically doing this because, you know, uh, Lawrence Stroll is putting the pressure on or whatever, you know, because Lawrence obviously comes across as, he comes across as a, as a, what do you call that, a solid operator, but also I feel like he doesn't know what he's doing sometimes, um, <laughs> It was funny, just, uh, I don't mean to be so mean, but they showed him walking through the paddock there at Imola with um with his Aston Martin kit on, and I was just like, God, he always looks like he, his face, he always looks like he's got gout or something, you know, how dark and, you know, rose-coloured his cheeks are, I was like, geez, you, 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 you need to see a doctor or something, but anyway, regardless of Lauren Stroll's gout problems, um, yeah, the fact that they think that the FIA can do something about this now, is it just seems really naive. I don't think anything is going to come of it. Um, for those who don't know, basically these floor changes were made because the fact that they're using old spec Pirelli tyres and if the cars can, got quicker this year, you know, with the aero changes that they were going to make, you know, as in like just evolving last year's cars to this year... Um, it would have been too much, you know, and on safety grounds, they had to do this, 
Um, and as you know, basically this year, as a result of the 2022 changes being put back, you know, to 2022, um, they were told, well, basically you've got to use last year's car. You can make, you know, little tweaks here and there, but nothing significant. And then of course you've got to modify your flaws as well. And that obviously hurt some teams and it also made life a lot better for other teams. But that's like anything, you know, in life, you know, there's always winners and losers. So if you're complaining about it, it just means you're a sore loser. And you might have gout if you're, if you're Lawrence Stroll. Anyway, I don't know why I keep going on about that, but anyway, <laughs> it's it's funny. So not a great weekend for them again. Seb Vettel, should we be worried? I don't know. Look, you know, ultimately, a team like Aston, same as Alpine and, you know, whoever else, they're targeting 2022, or they should be targeting 2022 as when they emerge uh, as a force, you know, so that's why it's not going to be a big deal, but the fact that, you know, they've come out really bombastically and made intentions, their intentions clear that they want to do this and they want to do that, then you kind of have to keep an eye on them a little bit, but having said that, Lawrence, or Lance Stroll, sorry, um, has done a pretty solid job the first couple of races. He picked up eighth this time and scored four points. So, yeah, you know, they're getting some points, but really they're nowhere near as fast as what they were last year. And, of course, you know, they were affected by these changes in the floor. But, you know, that's that's just F1. You get winners, you get losers. That's it. Elsewhere in the points, Gasly, seventh. Good good haul of points for him. Uh, Ocon as well, again in the points, scored ninth in, uh, sorry, scored ninth and picked up a couple of points. And rounding out the points was Fernando Alonso. Now, that's not how the race finished originally. You had Kimi up there on the points, but copped a post-race penalty for a safety car infringement. Sorry, not safety car infringement, but for a rolling restart infringement so basically he had a bit of a spin and he was supposed to what was it he was supposed to get back into um the position that he was in but if he didn't do it before the safety car line then he would have to go to the pit lane but he ended up going back to the position he was supposed to be and um, as a result they found that you know that was a bit illegal and he he dropped out so i think it's to do with the safety thing or something you know i i have no idea that's something that people should be blowing up about not about lewis being able to unlap himself and go on to finish on the podium so yeah but that's that's people for you sometimes it's very confusing what you know we argue about especially on the internet yep <laughs> anyway so yeah that was a bit unfortunate for Kimi to to be able to drop out of the points um and yeah a weekend of hardship for Williams first time in ages I think they've had a double DNF um Latifi earlier on was tagged by Nikita Mazepin I think not for not by Mazepin's complete like it wasn't completely at fault Latifi did rejoin the track after he um spun off somewhere and then you know um Basically, Mazepin was the innocent party for once in this instance and just couldn't go anywhere. So, a bit of contact for them. The Russian, well, we can't really call him a Russian driver because they're, they're flagless for this season to do with the, um, the Olympic stuff. So, the driver, <laughs> Mazepin, okay, he basically um, 
finished two laps down. So did his teammate Mick Schumacher, um, who had a bit of a spin while he was weaving his tires on the uh, coming down the the main straight and went into the wall and took off his front wing. So that was under safety car. So he's able to come into the pits and uh, get a new wing and everything. But, you know, for Haas, who, as we know, they've got, you know, budget problems and all that, it wouldn't have been good, you know, as far as um, their spend for this weekend. But, uh, yeah, otherwise, I think Monday sleep is, is, I still need to have a few more, Z's. Anyway, it was a good race otherwise. Um, as I said before, you probably should argue more about Kimmy's penalty than you should the the Hamilton thing about him unlapping himself or whatever. Um, what it does for the championship, as I said before, seven points in the constructors between Red Bull and Mercedes. But in the drivers championship it's only one point at the moment and that was as a result of Hamilton getting the fastest lap at the end of the race he is still one point clear of Verstappen good to see Lando up there in third seven points clear of Leclerc and looking at the the midfield standings as well McLaren they're in a good position seven points ahead in third of Ferrari and then when you look behind you know Alpha Tauri, Aston, Alpine they're all down there and then you know Alpha Mercedes or Williams sorry and Haas yet to score so I think you know it's going to be as much as we thought oh it'd be like a, a five horse race again I think you know it's clearly we've seen that it's McLaren and Ferrari and then you've got the rest of the the midfield and you know Alfa Romeo could potentially get up there because they did look quick all weekend so imagine that if they were able to get ahead of Alpine in this instance so yeah Otherwise, an enjoyable weekend. Bring on Portimao because it was exciting to see the motorbikes there and I'm excited to see F1 head back there as well in a couple of weeks and hopefully we get some news about Canada as well, hey? Because that would be a shame if it dropped out, but oh well. All right, into supercars then and the Tasmania Super Sprint. Um, great weekend if you didn't get to watch it. <laughs> uh, we did have a bit more Holden domination and it's funny because now, you know, you've got people irked up about the parody debate again and, you know, the fact that Holden have won nine or eight races in a row this season, you know, why doesn't anyone kick up a fuss? I don't think it's bad, as bad, you know, as what we've seen in previous years, but then in previous years, I didn't think it was as bad either, you know, it was just the fact that one team did really well, one driver did really well, so why are we criticising it, but then, you know, it's just, yeah, the back and forth, the politics is a bit, um, gives you a bit of a head spin, but uh, Shane Van Gisbergen equaled the um, race six record, like in race six, he equaled the record set by Mark Scaife and Alan Moffat for six consecutive wins to start a season, uh, last time of course that that happened in this series was 1994 for Scaife and then 77 for the great Alan Moffat as well, and then we had JB Wincup winning in race seven, uh, keeping up his record of wins there in Tassie. And of course, Chaz Mostert breaking through for a win in race eight. So first win for him in two years and then first win also for the team. Walker Jordan Reading United in three years, going back to Scotty Pye's win at the Grand Prix support round in 2018. So yeah, sweep for the Holdens, good weekend for them. But yeah, you had Cam Waters who took two pole positions on the Sunday, couldn't convert, just, you know, the race pace not there for Tickford at the moment, they were a bit 
uh, you know, just lamenting their tyre wear as well, not as good as what uh, the others have got at the moment. So a bit of head-scratching going on in there at the moment, considering that, yeah, we considered him a bit of a, a dark horse in the title fight. But hopefully we, you know, going on to the bend, of course, where he won last year, whether he could uh, back that up with another win this year, because they certainly do have the pace on his, his side of the garage. Elsewhere at Tickford, I know it's not going rather well at the moment if you're James Courtney or Jack LeBrock. Uh, but it was funny reading a comment on one of my articles earlier about, you know, why can't they, you know, just, well, what's Courtney done, you know, in the last couple of years at Tickford, you know, you should be putting someone else in the car who's quicker or younger or whatever, but um, it's most likely that you'll see someone like Tom Randall in a Tickford car next year, that's, I'll go over later in regards to the the Rex uh, situation that we have in supercars at the moment, but a good weekend for DJR team, oh, sorry, not DJ, just DJR, not Team Penske anymore. A good weekend for DJR though. Uh, you felt, or I didn't feel, but other people felt a little aggrieved that you know they have kind of dropped the ball this season. Of course, without Team Penske there, without Scott McLaughlin and Fabian Coulthard there, but. I just, you know, Sandown was one of those weekends where, you know, Sandown's never been a great circuit for that team. The fact that they've not won there at all, even during the um, Scott McLaughlin domination years, you know, they haven't won here for, for years now, or at Sandown, I should say. So it was like, well, no big deal. And then Mount Panorama 500, Bathurst, that was their first weekend for these two new drivers at the team, Will Davison and Anton Di Pasquale. They came away with a podium that weekend, which is not bad. And then this weekend, they've come away with four trophies, and including, you know, a 2-3 finish there in race eight. So you can't fault them for the weekend that they had. They are building. Both these drivers are getting more and more acclimatized. And I'm sure we'll probably see Anton there, you know, for a win this year. Davison, if he can get his act together and he you know stops blaming everything around him or whatever or just not taking accountability of himself like I've heard some people say but yeah you know I wouldn't have criticized DJR at all um, maybe at the end of the year you know if they've not had a great year you could probably you know ask some questions about whether they've lost their way a little bit after you know Penske's departed and the culture that Penske sets and everything but, you know, so far, I feel like they've done a pretty solid job, all things considering. And you just can't fault the effort from Van Gisbergen because he's been way better than his teammate, Windcup, as well. And even though Windcup was able to come through and win race seven, um, good job on Jamie for doing that. Uh, Shane not getting the best of starts, you've got to say, this weekend. But, um, you know, overall in the championship, Shane is still sitting pretty up there with 139 points clear as teammate. And then, of course, Whitcup is 165 points clear of Chaz, who jumps back up there after the weekend that he had. So good to see from Chaz. And it was, you know, nice to hear as well. Like, um, and he's doing a lot of good things at the moment, Chaz, you know, with his no social hate um, campaign on social media because it is, un, you know, just very very wrong you know the the criticism and the just the hate that these guys cop on on you know social media from uh, how do you even say it like one-eyed one-eyed do you even call them supporters you know it's just it's very bogan it's just very stupid I think and you know these guys they're doing everything they can and even though 
you know, sometimes on the on the podcast or in my writing, I might, you know, s- criticize someone for doing something. I never mean it in, you know, a hateful or hurtful way kind of thing. It's just like, you know, they didn't have the greatest weekend. You know, I think they need to, perhaps they need to try something differently. I never say that I know better than, you know, what these guys are doing kind of thing. And, you know, to the people who do put out that kind of negative uh, discourse and, you know, the abuse that they give the drivers, it's it's just unnecessary. And good on Chaz for uh, starting up this initiative, which all the other drivers are behind as well, which is good to see, to, to stamp out that social hate because, you know, whether it's in, you know, motorsport, sport, you know, schools, workplaces, it's everywhere and it just shouldn't be allowed to breathe or have that room to exist. So, yeah, amongst that, you know, Chaz saying as well that, you know, he almost lost the belief that he could win. It, it made me a little bit sad because I was like, Chaz, you're one of the best drivers on the grid. You know, you've done so many great things. I would love to see you as a champion one day as well in supercars if we could get there. But the fact that he's got that belief back now, he says, the team would be buoyed by this result as well. So hopefully we do see some some more wins this year and a possible title tilt as well. That'll be good to see. So that was great. That was kind of like how my weekend, you know, McLaren on the podium, Chaz wins a race. It was kind of like, you know, Christmas had come early. Well, not quite. <laughs> anyway, and um, my only criticism, though, of the weekend, I think, uh, you know, not to not to sound negative or like a bit of a grouch, was the uh, qualifying format. So, of course, you know, Simmons Plains is a very short circuit. It's like 2.4 kilometers. They always have the issue of traffic around here during qualifying, of course. So what they did is for Sunday, for the two sprint races that they had on Sunday, that they do some kind of uh, Group A, Group B qualifying, you know, which is kind of Formula E inspired. But the way they would do it was rather than, you know, based off practice times or anything like that or championship positions, they would do it, you know, the cars on the right-hand side garages will go out in Group A and the cars on the left-hand side garages would go out in Group B. So a bit of disparity when you think about it, or just in general that that, that concept has a bit of a disparity, um, although it works really well for Formula E. But what happened here was that, you know, um, you know, one group obviously benefited going out first because... In the qualifying for race seven, uh, the Group A times were some of the quickest that we saw for that session, and then Group B couldn't really um, do anything different. You know, I think there was a couple of cars, such as Windcup and Deep Squally, that ended up uh, getting up there into the top five overall, but the rest of the times didn't even make the top twelve because it was there's twenty four cars, half do divide that by two, it's twelve, so. Yeah, they couldn't really beat it. So it was just, you know, one of those things that, you know, you having two different qualifying formats for the weekend. Um, I like the the knockout qualifying that they have, which is kind of F1 style. Just use that, you know, and if you don't have time, just do like what the commentators and what the drivers are saying. Just do just a normal qualifying 10-minute session and basically everyone's going to get a lap anyway and just wrestle for track position. There's nothing, uh, it's, it makes it a bit more exciting when they have to do that, you know, a bit more strategy involved too. Next time we'll see that um, group-based qualifying will be later on in the year when we get to the Perth Super Night, so other than that, yeah, a little 
couple of week break now, heading into the Bend Super Sprint, so we'll be good. We'll be good. It's it's going good so far this year. The supercars, liking it, even if uh, some people are not happy about the Holden dominance. And and this is coming from a Ford fan, you know. Like there's no hiding that I'm a bit of a Ford fan. You know, I like the blue oval and everything, but you know, it's always pretty good. It's always good. Um, some other points that I was going to make actually last week um, when we did the Tasmania preview, um, and which I didn't end up doing, was just some little tidbits had making their way into the news and all that. You know, a lot of to do with Gen 3 as well. So um, there's the debate growing about paddle shift and whether that should be um, introduced. The majority of drivers, including one Shane Van Gisbergen, who's probably been the most vocal, are against the idea of that, you know, and you look at those, the traditionalists and everyone, you know, people like Paul Morris and all that, they're bringing in the heel-to-toe debate, whether, you know, you know, drivers, the better drivers, you know, are the ones who learn how to do heel-to-toe and with the current sequential stick shift or whatever, and I am all for that, because I think it's so cool, the the gear shift that they have, it's not the traditional H pattern, but it's just like, you know, you pull, you pull, or whatever, you know, it's like the rally handbrake that you have, but instead, you know, it's, you know, whatever, you get what I'm talking about, I would love for that to stay in the ideal world, but, and it would be cheaper too than developing a whole new um, paddle shift system, but then, you know, you look at the argument from supercars they're probably saying oh you know but if we're targeting road relevance then you know road cars are fiddled with paddle shift too but i just don't see how it would work you know trying to keep the the touring car dna um you don't because you don't want them to be gt3 cars as much as i love gt3 cars i don't want supercars to turn into gt3 like dtm has basically but that's because they had nothing else that they could do. So this is where this is going to be very crucial. So yeah, and I will be talking about Gen 3 a bit more over the coming weeks and months. You know, I've tried to write out an article about that as well and basically just flesh out what I've said now in regards to why I don't think paddle shifts are going to be ideal. You know, um, I can try and think of points for it, but at the same time, there'll probably be more points against it. And, you know, it'll echo the sentiment of the drivers as well. Um, I mentioned earlier, too, that we've got the tender out for some wrecks as well to be taken up. So racing entitlements contracts. So basically two cars are available for a team or prospective team that want them for 2022. So likely Tickford will get one of them. So they'll end up back with four cars. And then, you know, we'll see Tom Randall in there, which will be great. And... Speaking of which, Tom Randall will be doing three wild cards, wild card appearances this year as well for Tickford. One of them will be at the Bend. I can't remember. I think Darwin and Perth, maybe, I think, are the other ones. Can't remember. But yeah, he's got a Castrol-backed Ford Mustang. We also heard that Walkinshaw and Dreddy United will be doing well as well. A wild card for Kirk Kostecki, so they'll be doing the same races as, uh, uh, as Randall. And possibly the Blanchard Racing team might uh, look to expand to two cars for next season as well to get and get that second wreck, and that'll all depend on uh, Gen Three and what the rules look like for next year and whether it's affordable for them to do that. Uh, and Kelly Grove Racing as well confirming their co-driver for Andre Heimgartner. It's not Rick Kelly, unfortunately, which you know 
there's a lot of mystery around Rick Kelly at the moment. He's kind of fallen off the face of the earth. So hope old Rico's okay. But um, we get two-time Le Mans 24-hour winner and world endurance champion Earl Bamber uh, partnering up with his fellow Kiwi and Heimgartner. So that'll be really exciting to see come the Bathurst 1000, given that there's no Enduro Cup again this year. And finally, because he's the reigning Supercars champion, couldn't get away without talking about Scotty and his debut in IndyCar, finishing P14 there at Barber for the first weekend. Pato Award was on pole for McLaren, so that was great. But it was actually Alex Palou who won his first ever IndyCar race um, there. So congratulations to Alex. Also, Will Power on the podium for Team Penske and Scott Dixon as well, the reigning champion. Um, on the podium so didn't get to watch the race um, or the or the replay but I did watch a five minutes highlight package sounded like it was an eventful race but um, yeah hopefully I will get to try and catch some IndyCar events this season it's just it is rather difficult with the time difference but also on a Monday night I'm generally pooped and <laughs> can't uh, get around to watching a, a 90 minute or two hour race uh, before bedtime so yeah I'll try and see if I can watch a couple this year but yeah definitely Indy 500 that's one for sure and if not, I'll just try and catch the highlights as I have so far. So, yeah, that that wraps up all all the racing course kind of stuff. As uh, promised three weeks ago, I was going to do a little review of Drive to Survive Season 3. Didn't get around to doing it last week, but here we are. And ultimately, I still think it's a great series. You know, I finished it off um, and felt satisfied, you know, even though I think the formula is proving to become a bit repetitive, and the, just the, the way that they're trying to build false narratives kind of thing, you know, it's, it is starting to wear a little bit thin, but I still enjoyed it, you know, and as I said last time, I think, you know, for those really hardcore F1 fans who take everything so seriously, lighten up, first of all, but also, don't watch this show if it's if you're not into it you know it's not like they're going to change for the next season you know I can't see DTS being around forever but I'm going to enjoy it while it's here because it's really given a great behind the scenes look into how things run you know the dynamics between the teams and their drivers the dynamics just between the drivers and other drivers as well it's it's been really insightful it's been really good but yeah, you know, the fake TV animosity that we get, you know, I think just, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's like cheesy reality TV, and my least favourite episode of the season was definitely No Regrets, which, you know, was about McLaren, um, and just creating a bit of uh, tension and animosity that didn't really exist between uh, Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris, given that, you know, there was a last year together with the team, and apparently Lando was upset that, you know, Carlos was leaving, or was, like, angry at him, or whatever, and tried to sabotage things and everything, so that was kind of just, yeah, it at its worst. My favourite episode, probably, was Nobody's Fool, which you know, I've heard some criticism about, but anyway, I, I didn't mind the, the deeper look there, we got into Mercedes, and also, you know, Valtteri Bottas more so, no, I didn't think it was my favourite episode, because you got to see Bottas's ass, Bottas' ass, Bottas, anyway, 
it's not because of the butt, okay? So don't go there. <laughs> um, but yeah, the way that the episode looked at um, Bottas's lineup, you know, he's basically trying to say, I'm nobody's fool. I'm not the number two driver, even though, you know, he's he's not really helping anyone at the moment try to, to uh, dispel that narrative. But, you know, it just shows, it kind of showed how much he cares about the, the criticism and he's trying like he just wants to be able to break free of that mold and of course Hamilton as well kind of crumbling under the pressure that weekend you know with the with the penalty in Russia so I think that was as far as the way it was laid out and everything that was going on it was probably my favorite episode this season um lots of emotion around in Man of Fire as well I really enjoyed that one too um talk about Roman Grosjean and going over the incident which almost claimed his life. Uh, it, yeah, it was it was really well done, and of course, you know the the whole thing around Haas, you know, later on last year about where their driver lineup was going, and uh, good to Steiner as well. Always such a character in the in the show too. But um, yeah, great episodes. Um, for those <laughs> who haven't heard me go on about it um, already. I do have a cameo in episode one, so if you look carefully, I don't have the exact time written down because I'm not that obsessed with it, but um, in episode one of season three, there will be a um, scene where you've got, I think it's Sebastian Vettel being photographed, like they're doing the driver portraits at the start of every year. And then the next shot is of a uh, scrub of photographers and kind of in the middle of the pack towards the back, you'll see a black LA Dodgers cap. Not that I'm an LA Dodgers fan, I just like the cap. Um, like if you pause it and zoom in or whatever, you can you can see that cap and then there'll be like a, a lens with a round cover on it as well sticking out. That's me. So I made it onto Netflix and to Drive to Survive, so... Woohoo. Yeah. You don't get to see my face though, which is which is what I was hoping for. But uh yeah. We'll try again for next year if we if I get to if we do have an Australian Grand Prix and I do get to go and everything. So yeah. Other than that, yeah. I still recommend it. I think it's it's good. A lot of my non F one F one friends when they watch it they do love it. Um talking to a couple of people at work about it at the moment. And, you know, one of them in particular who hasn't, I think, watched an F1 race properly before is like, I love the, I love it, <coughs> the, sorry, they love Good to Steiner, they love, you know, everything that's going on in it, and then they're slowly learning about the sport as well, and, you know, every time I see them, they come and ask questions about, you know, this and that, what happened here and all that, and I'm like, yeah, it was this and that, it's basically just recounting them the, the 2020 season, you know, how it happened, but, um, yeah, that's, that's basically what Drive to Survive was there for, to, to try and get new, a new audience into the sport, and whether they, get into the sport and actually look at it, start to learn about it like people like you and me do, the hardcore fans, that was what the intention was. It wasn't trying to dumb things down for, for the people who are already um, obsessed with it. But I just think ultimately at the end of the day, you got to look at the lighter side of things and people take themselves too seriously. So yeah, that's it. That's it for this week as well. Thank you for joining me this time. Sorry, just got a bit of a blocked nose at the moment, bit bit nasally. It's 
just the weather here in Melbourne. It's it's just Melbourne. Anyway, thanks for joining me this week. Um, again, you know, follow us on Twitter. We've got the link tree as well, so you can look at my Instagram and um, the articles that I get published as well on the Raw. Um, otherwise, I will be back next week to preview the Portuguese Grand Prix. So until then, take care and uh, have a good weekend. Ciao.